Hey Pacer fans, I'm Miles Turner, and here's the Sideline Guys podcast. Hi Pacers fans, and welcome into another Sideline Guys Wednesday. We are now midway through the month of May, which uh, normally would be deep into the playoffs, at least late into, into round two. But of course, with the later start, we are deep into the regular season. Alongside Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan, and I'll tell you, uh, JJ, when we talked last week coming off that uh, tough game against Sacramento, and there um, was a lot going around uh, outside of the Pacers organization. And I think there were a lot of reasons to not be sure how this season was going to finish. And we still don't know how this is going to finish. There are a lot of ways that this year could finish. Um, but in a week, a lot has happened. A lot has changed, I think, almost entirely for the better. This team certainly has not quit, and it's played overall pretty well. And I will tell you, it is just good to come to you on a Sideline Guys Wednesday um, after a couple of really nice performances. The Pacers closing out the Cavs well on Monday. And then you fall down by 16 points against the 76ers in the first half. I know they don't have Embiid, but they're going for the number one seed. And uh, outside of Embiid, they pretty much got everybody else. And you know the Pacers' injury history. So I thought that was one of the more impressive wins lately when you consider everything that's on the line here. And again, there are a lot of ways this season can finish out. We're going to delve into all of those in this episode. Um, But at least from a responding to an adversity uh, that the Pacers have been dealing with over the last week plus, I thought this was a pretty impressive week for Indiana. If you think about it, Pat, there has had a, there there has been a lot that has happened since we last had a sideline guys podcast. We recorded on Tuesday morning, and you know, outside noise on the court, potential issues, then great games, uh, seeing histor- history made. I mean, it, it's just been a wild week from a Pacers perspective. And I tweeted during the game, for the love of the sideline, guys, can the Pacers pull this one out? I can't remember the last time we recorded a podcast following a win. I could probably go back and look. And I'm sure there was some Wednesday in in March that we talked in the last game the Pacers played was a win. But it really just has felt like we've had to start this show on a little bit of a down note. And I would say there are still some... Um, issues and some areas to be concerned about and the season really is almost over the one thing I wish is they could have whatever they've done differently in the last week and I think they've made some defensive adjustments that have really helped things I I wish it could have started maybe just a a few weeks earlier and then to see where this team could be the injuries are something that are not going to go away it would appear and that is the biggest thing that's probably going to keep this team from really having a very high ceiling but all in all With all that has happened, to drive home from that game against Philadelphia and feel like you saw just a highly entertaining, highly competitive, and a feel-good win, uh, you know what? I'll I'll take that as a small victory, and I'll chalk one up to uh, something that I can can appreciate again from this season. I think absolutely it's a small victory, and I think it also puts you in position. Uh, Look, you're right. The Pacers are going to need to get healthier and we don't know if they will or not a lot of that I think is still up in the air it's hard to imagine um, you know making significant noise with the injury report as it is you're missing Brogdon and Lamb and uh, Sumner's been on and off and of course Miles Turner and we've known TJ Warren the whole season that's just such an uphill battle to fight Uh, but they fought it well this past week so let's see what happens with the injury report let's see what happens with this current group And it's maybe not the most interesting podcast topic, but you hit on something that I think um, is really important, not only in these final three games because of the opponent, but really the last two as well. The defense, uh, maybe more specifically the transition defense, and maybe most specifically the defense in the second half. The Pacers gave up 42 points against Cleveland in the second half, which is the second fewest at the time that they had given up in the second half. And then they held the 76ers to 32 points. There was just a drastic change at halftime. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Pacers teams of old. The Pacers have had so many good defensive teams over the last 20 years. And since we've been in these jobs, uh, they've been good on defense mostly. Uh, But not always every single game. I mean, I think it can be easy to forget the team uh, in, in previous years wasn't necessarily perfect defensively. And I can remember many times where the Pacers would go into the half uh, feeling kind of lackluster about their effort on defense and then 
something would change in that time, whether it was just killing momentum, whether it was, you know, Dan Burke or the coaching staff making adjustments. And at least in, in this game and in these last couple of games, it's felt like they've gotten into the locker room. They've made perhaps some changes, whether it's schematic changes or whether it's effort changes or roster, uh, you know, type of playing time decisions, whatever. But the second halves have been great defensively. And when you look at uh, Milwaukee coming up and the Lakers after that, and you know those two teams are going to have a lot to be playing for, and these are teams uh, that certainly are good in transition, I think that's the number one key. Look, Levert playing great. Sabonis playing great. They've gotten big contributions from players further down the roster like Keelan Martin. Um, but you got to have your base of your defense there. And in the second halves, especially lately, it's been tremendous. You've had two of your three best second halves defensively in your last two games. And to me, when you project, you know, the different possibilities where this season could end, I think injuries still are probably number one. I mean, you need to at least get some of your guys back, and we don't know exactly how that's going to happen. But I think defense is probably, in my opinion, the second biggest thing. And if you look at it more into a, a specific lens from the defensive perspective, getting back in transition. I mean, we've seen everything from 154 points given up to just two uh, stellar defensive efforts in the second halves in the last couple of games. Which version are you going to see yet to find out? But um, coming off these couple of games, going into this final stretch here, I think at least gives you reasons for optimism. And it also, I think, gives these guys a blueprint of, hey, here's what we did. Here's what has worked. And look, it's it's completely different <laughs> trying to accomplish that against Giannis and the Bucks and LeBron and Anthony Davis and the Lakers. But at least if that effort's there and that togetherness is there, they're not going to hold those teams at 32 points in the second half, very likely. Um, but at least you've kind of seen the way these last couple of games that you hope to play in these final three in the play-in tournament and hopefully uh, beyond the play-in tournament. My observation is they're just a little bit more connected. I'm seeing a little bit better help um, defense, and they're a little bit less feast or famine. You know, we have seen all season long that this team has relied upon getting steals, uh, points off of turnovers, fast break opportunities, and Philadelphia is a team that ranks near the bottom of the NBA in turnovers and assist-to-turnover ratio, and it was something that I brought up with Nate Bjorkren before the game, if that is something that the Pacers needed to win that category. And they did have 28 assists compared to 23 for the Sixers. But what is surprising when I look back at the box score is the Sixers only had 11 turnovers. Now, the Pacers were advantageous. They got 12 points off of those turnovers. But, you know, I, you mentioned Dan Burke, and, and we're not trying to do this to continue to look back and to compare. However, his thought process, I, I always remember, was going for the steals sometimes isn't beneficial because if you don't get it, then maybe you're giving one up. And sure, if you get it and you get a layup, um, you know, it's great. So I'm sure there's some analytics that can come in and say, you know, what when is the best time to go for the steal and when do you need to be a little bit more cautious? Uh, it's probably a good thing if they're, you know, being a little less risky, if that's that's kind of an odd way to say it, but they're, they're helping a lot more. I don't know if you've noticed this, and this was something that was at the end of the Cavaliers media availability, I believe, and it was Tony East who asked Coach Bjorkren if he's playing a little bit less zone, mm -hmm. and he did acknowledge um, that he is. And I don't always, I'm not, Quinn can always, when the zone comes out, uh, he, he'll immediately say they're in the 2-3 or, you know, they're in the box in one, and, and I'm not always watching for that, so it's not the first thing that I see. Uh, I would say Quinn and Caitlin Cooper would be the people that just immediately, you know, can point out every defense that they're running. So we could probably ask them throughout the course of the game how much zone they are playing. And, you know, I don't know if that's a concession or if it's through some locker room meetings and some heart to hearts after what has happened where, you know, the, either Nate's giving in a little bit or the players are just, you know, offering suggestions. I don't really know. I, I like to think that the coaching staff is saying this is our best way to succeed in the short term. We still like to change defenses. We still like the, you know, come out of the timeouts every once in a while. And we did see that, I think, against the Sixers. But it does look like it's a little more of a down-the-middle kind of defensive philosophy with less changes. Are you seeing that? 
I absolutely am. And I thought, you know, the same thing even in that game against Philadelphia. I can think of one time where they came out of a timeout and had the 2-3 zone. Otherwise, you haven't seen it as much. And I think I think you can have a, a couple of big-picture thoughts on this. Look, I think, and you touched on this just a second ago, but I think if you're the coaching staff, I, I don't think they necessarily drastically change their philosophy. A lot of different philosophies can win. A very similar philosophy to this uh, was used in part uh, with a lot of success uh, with the Raptors just a couple of years ago to win a championship, a lot more than just that defense. But that was a part of their strategy that ended up helping them win a title. So there's a lot of different ways um, that the sausage can be made, if you will. But in in the scenario of where the Pacers are right now, I think for a staff that prides themselves on being able to adjust, I think this is a great adjustment. I think this is saying, look, uh, big picture, I think we still want to do this more. I think we want to um, figure out ways to you know, uh, stifle and confuse defenses and, and be in a bunch of different coverages. Uh, but also, there's a few realities. You're really injured. Um, you maybe don't fully have the personnel that you eventually want to have to run a defense like this. And you've only got a few games left in the season. Um, so let's adjust to something maybe a little bit more simple and something that clearly as you've adjusted to it, it seems to be working uh, a lot better. So I think your big picture vision could still be exactly where it was from day one. But I think it's good to be able uh, to acknowledge that, okay, maybe we need to try to be just a little bit more simple. Maybe we need to be a little bit more fundamentally sound. And, uh, and, and clearly when it's worked like it has the last couple of games, uh, good reason you tip your cap to not necessarily jumping away from that and being willing to stick with it, even if it's not your ultimate uh, big picture philosophy. So I think all of that is really good. And I think it'll be a, an extreme test coming up these next two days. Like we've seen the Pacers play really well defensively in second halves and overall have a couple of really solid defensive efforts um, in the last couple of games when they've really needed them. And frankly, um, back to Atlanta, too. I thought that was uh, overall a pretty good defensive effort. Now you've got you can make a case the two best players in the world coming to your building in the next three days with a lot on the line with high powered offenses. And now you'll get the test to see how that defense is working. And I'm, I'm excited to see it because I'm optimistic. I don't think you're going to hold those teams under 40 points. And it's worth noting, of course, that Joel Embiid wasn't available for the Sixers. Uh, but I still think you're trending in the right direction. And I think it's realistic to hope for um, decent defensive nights against those teams. And we will just see. The Pacers now have put themselves in a position where they've moved up to ninth. Uh, but still, 8, 9, and 10 are all very, very realistic landing points for the Pacers. So these games are going to mean a lot for Indiana, too. And uh, because the seeding in the play-in tournament is really significant to your chances to advancing uh, to the actual playoffs. I don't want to go any further, though. We've gone, I don't know, maybe... Uh, 10, 15 minutes into this podcast, and we have not yet discussed specifically DeMontis Sabonis, and I want to change that right now, uh, because what I have seen, this is just my opinion here, but what I've seen from Sabonis in the last seven games, I think is the best I have ever seen him look, period. Uh, his numbers look like this, 25 points, 11 assists, 15 rebounds, almost two steals per game, by the way, that shouldn't get overlooked, 68% from the field. 50% from three. And that's not just like one of two from three. Uh, he's taking a ton of threes. Let's see, five, eight, 11, 12. Uh, he's taken 18 threes over those seven games and hit nine of them. So uh, every part of his game is working. I think a lot stands out. But to me, the assist numbers are really phenomenal. Sabonis has not had less than eight assists in any of those games. Three of those seven games have been triple doubles. Two more, he's been one assist shy of a triple double. So I got curious and I started looking up all of a sudden where he ranked in assists and he has gone from 16 to 15 to 14 to, as of recording this, uh, he is currently 13 in the NBA, 13th in the NBA in assists, which is just really remarkable for a guy his size. And I want to give you some names of guys that are lower than Sabonis in assists per game. Uh, it includes Fred Van Vliet, Kyrie Irving, Mike Conley, Giannis, uh, Drew Holiday, Seth Curry, 
the list is, is really impressive. All of this coming from a big man. And if he can finish the year with six and a half assists per game, which he's currently at 6.6, so he's above that. If he can finish at 6.5 or better, he will become just the third ever center to have six and a half assists per game over the course of the year. And the other two are Wilt and Jokic. All of those <laughs> incredible numbers to say, I know that back injury was tough on him. I know it was difficult for him to miss six games, and I know it was very painful. But he looks as refreshed, uh, rejuvenized, and I think as effective as I have ever seen him. And he's always a joy to watch. But when he's playing like this, uh, the guy looks like you know a borderline superstar as he's playing right now. And I think he holds really a significant key to the Pacers' success down the stretch as well. Let's call it what it is. I mean, he's playing like Nikola Jokic. I mean, yeah. that guy is going to win the MVP, and the Pacers don't have the team success that the Nuggets are having. And you know, I would say right now, Jokic is the best passing big man in the NBA, and DeMontis Sabonis is second. And you could say both of those are not just best passing big men, but among the best passers in the entire league. And I do think that he is... While he is, it feels like he has a more active role in the offense, which was hard to believe because he was always someone who initiated offense. But without Malcolm Brogdon, he absolutely has to. But it's it's just maybe a little bit more efficient. It's a little more controlled. He's sometimes he used to just immediately see a mismatch and just lower his shoulder and go to the basket. Um, I, I feel like he's just a little more. Um, aware of everything and he was always a great passer but I mean some of the passes that he is making and maybe it's a credit to his teammates that everyone knows if he has the ball on the high post then it's an open possibility that you can make a backdoor cut and the opening has to be just a sliver I mean it's sometimes he makes the pass on a, on a backdoor cut and I'm like oh that's not that's not a smart move and it gets through <laughs> and now it's not 100 percent but it gets through enough that it is, you know, to kind of go back to my going for steals analogy, it's worth the risk because if it gets through, it's pretty much a layup. And he's going to guys like Doug McDermott and Karis LeVert, and I think Edmund Sumner has been really good at this too, that are really finishing with a high percentage. And so um, I echo your sentiments. I think that – I think I had it – somebody on Twitter had it, and we've – some different numbers. And sometimes you can put so many filters into statistics and say, well, this is the best – stretch sense and only these guys have done this but just strictly points rebounds assists going into last night's game in a six game stretch it was just Sabonis Oscar Wilt Russell Westbrook and nobody else I mean those four guys and so and this is after coming off of an injury and so that's uh, I agree I, I did say that to Nate Bjorkren before one of the recent games that you know we can't take this for granted and, and I said even a couple of weeks ago, I just wanted to see this team have a shot with one of their centers because it, it is. It's impossible to expect much success when you don't even have a center on the court. And so they were able to kind of hold their own just a little bit. They're in a position right now to at least go into the final three games and then this play-in tournament with a realistic shot with a puncher's chance, primarily because Sabonis is playing out of his mind. I mean, with everyone else injured, you just have to have Sabonis and Levert play really, really good and then hope everything else can fall into place. And for the most part, um, that's happened. When I speak of everything else falling into place, I think we should probably be sure to give our shout outs to Keelan Martin, because I don't know that we've really brought him up on this podcast since maybe the season opener edition where we kind of picked a, a thought on a, every single player and. I admit that when T.J. Warren went down, I thought Keelan Martin would be the one who might benefit. I liked what I saw in the preseason. And it just never really felt like he was comfortable. I do think he was pressing a little bit. He was trying too hard, and then he fell out of the rotation. And when that, when that happens, you can feel like you have to be perfect every single time that you go onto the court, and that can affect your play. If you're thinking, if I miss a shot, I'm going to the bench. Not that that is what would happen, but – um, it can affect your all-around game. And, and the one thing that he has done, he's brought a little bit more physicality, a rebounding presence, and, you know, defense, the ability to guard high-level wings and elite scorers. He's built to do that probably better than many other players on the roster. So that's why he was given the opportunity. As Nate Bjorkren said, the scoring is a bonus, but the scoring against the Cavs. Uh, I think it's crazy that you think of a game in Cleveland this season – 
as a ho-hum, just get through it, just one of 72. McConnell's night in Cleveland, and then Keelan Martin's night in Cleveland, probably going to go on my list as two of the top five games or at least memories of this season. Absolutely. And I think it's so important when you're this banged up. Uh, first of all, you need consistent high-level performances. You've gotten it from Sabonis. We haven't really talked about Karis LeVert on this specific podcast either, uh, but he's been tremendous also. Uh, Hit the big step back three uh, to put Philadelphia away on Tuesday. He had 20 and 10 on Monday against Cleveland. He's had three 30-point games in the month of May already. His assist numbers have been through the roof. He's been phenomenal. So you've gotten two really consistent high-level performers lately. But when you're this banged up, it can be really impactful when a guy that is a little bit more unheralded can step up for you. And that's exactly what the Pacers got out of Keelan Martin. And two, I think I think he's a good defender. Like I've tried to watch him a, a fair amount on defense and he's got some good size. I think he is is versatile. I think that's probably a big reason why he was brought in. You look at the Pacer didn't have many moves to make, but the moves that they were able to make around the fringes, uh, Cassius Stanley, it's with the idea of versatility in mind. And I think he has a lot of that as well. Um, there's probably not one thing that he's great at from an NBA perspective, but he's somebody who can hit the three if you want him to. He can bang down low if you want him to. Um, he's maybe a couple inches short of being you know, an ideal height for his position, but he can make up with that, that with his strength. And is he ever going to be a big force in this lineup? Maybe Uh, odds are probably against that, but when he's called upon and this goes beyond Keelan, but he's the best example that we have lately. Um, You need, you need guys like that who can step up and have big performances that aren't your stars that are coming off the bench and you don't need it every single night specifically. You just need one guy to do that and maybe take one step above his role, at least while you're this banged up, Uh, you know, hopefully I hope, I really hope we're talking next year about a healthy team and this core that the Pacers have together is playing well and healthy. And then we're not saying, oh, you really need a guy like Keelan Martin to step up. Uh, but that's kind of where the Pacers are right now. And and look, I would have liked to think they would have won that Cleveland game anyway. But things were close early in the fourth quarter. There's no guarantee. <laughs> and he started really playing well. And so yeah. I, I, I think, um, you know, he was the differentiator in that game. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that, especially because – it can't be easy for a guy in his position. I, I always think about he's far from the only guy that's that deals with this. The NBA, each team has a couple of guys like this. But think about uh, somebody in Martin's position. He uh, was on a different NBA team last year. He's had to play um, outside of the NBA. He's um, basically on one-year prove-it deals and then doesn't really get a ton of opportunity to prove it. So when you're out there, like you only get a few real shots at this. And we don't know what his career is going to be like. We don't know where he, um, you know, is or won't be next year. But I always think it would be really hard to not get a ton of opportunity for a lot of the year than to be thrust in the spotlight like he has a little bit more recently and to perform and not try to do too much and not try to prove that you deserve a three-year contract extension. Just be you. Just be helpful when you're called upon and, and that's hard to do when you haven't played a lot because there's rust that's involved. As much as you practice and as much as you go up and down the floor um, with your teammates, it's a different vibe, a different environment to do it in an NBA game. And I think that's what's been the most impressive part of all of this to me is that this guy uh, would have every excuse to be rusty or maybe not on top of his game, uh, but stellar against Cleveland. And I think his overall level of play Lately, if nothing else, he's, I think, a plus on defense and it's somebody that doesn't need the ball on offense, but can, you know, make some plays when called upon. And again, if you're this hurt, I think you're probably going to call upon Keelan Martin um, some more down the stretch and maybe into the play in tournament. I mentioned what a wild week it has been in the last week. Also, you have had uh, not just, you know, maybe we should just bring this up and then move on because we don't have any additional information we don't know what has been written what is true and what isn't true we just know that it probably has affected this team a little bit I'm guessing it's affected the coaching staff because you can't help but read and think and react and so um, the fan base I'm sure is curious as to what might happen what direction things will go um, when this season is over but I I give the team a lot of credit and the staff as well for um, 
basically finding a little bit of resolve and a renewed energy and really just bringing it on the court. But in the last week, you also had the, the Gogo Bataze incident with Greg Foster. And, and let's just let's talk about his night against the Sixers. I, I tweeted and sometimes when I tweet something out and there are some games I tweet more than others. I have probably more this season because I'm connected to a computer. Or, you know, I'm sitting at the desk instead of roaming around and observing sidelines and things like that. But I said, rough game for Goga. That was early in the fourth quarter. And I expected any minute for him to be, you know, rotated out. And I was thinking about, you know, a few offensive plays. I thought that, I think it was twice he got the goaltending calls. And I was just, how many times is he going to, you know, miss time or block a shot after it already hits the backboard first? And, and I was amazed that he never subbed out of the game. For, for a guy that not – he wasn't the hot hand at all to me, but yet he was the guy that Nate Bjorken kept in the game. He played the entire fourth quarter, and it was because of, I think, his defense. They were they were closing the paint a little bit better. They needed his length against a team like the Sixers. Uh, that's one of the underrated, fascinating angles to that game and to Goga having just uh, – maybe his week is an example of the week that everyone in that locker room has kind of been dealing with. I think that's certainly accurate and hat tip to Goga too, to being somebody that even if he's not playing all that great can be viewed as a defensive presence that you want out there. Cause I'm not sure you or I would have necessarily said that that would uh, be the case going into the season. But I think that's an area where he's definitely taken a step forward. And again, it's like Keelan Martin. Um, if you're not performing on the offensive end, can you find ways to be effective for this team that's really shorthanded right now? I think both of those cases are yes. I think overall, the growth we've seen from Goga, it's been maybe a little bit of an inconsistent year at times, but the highs have been there. You want to, when you've got a guy like him, you're going to get some peaks and you're going to get some valleys and that's going to be expected, but you want those peaks to be impressive stretches. And I think we've seen that uh, he's certainly had some valleys too. Um, as, as recently as the Greg Foster incident that, uh, you were suggesting, and he didn't have a great start to that game. Uh, but if the coach is willing to count on you late in games, even when a game that you're not playing well as a second-year guy, as a non-top six or seven uh, first-round draft pick, I think ultimately that's a really good sign. And uh, as we transition here, let's take a look at where the Pacers are in the standings. Let's take a look at uh, the playoff picture and all of their different possibilities here, because I have been following, I'll tell you the last week and a half or so, I've been following basketball reference. They've got a playoff probabilities report, but they've extended it in the last couple of weeks to put their probabilities on finishing eighth, ninth, uh, and 10th in there. And over the last week and a half or so that I've looked at this, the percentages for the Pacers have never been better. Essentially what basketball reference is saying is they've got about a one in three chance of finishing eighth, a one in three chance of finishing ninth, a one in three chance of finishing 10th. Now the challenge for the Pacers here is they don't have tiebreaker against anyone that they might tie with. So anybody that they want to finish uh, with a better seed than they need a better record than as we are having this discussion right now, the Hornets are in eighth, they're 33 and 36. The Pacers are in ninth, they're 33 and 36. Washington is in 10th, they're 32 and 37. For Washington to pass Indiana, they only need to have the same record. So here's the challenge for the Pacers down the stretch here. You've got Milwaukee, you've got Los Angeles, and then you've got Toronto. Now you hope that Toronto game, they're eliminated. Uh, they're playing in a city that isn't even their home. My guess is that they wouldn't mind getting home soon, and they've already been eliminated from playoff contention. I'm not sure how much that final game of the year is going to matter to Toronto, and it could be very important to the Pacers. And you'd like to think – that that's one that you've got a really good chance of getting. So you look at these other two, and I think where the Pacers finish could be determined upon, can you get that Toronto game, and can you find a way to get one of these other two, which is going to be really challenging. I mean, let's just face it. Milwaukee's a really good team. The Lakers are, when healthy, a really good team, and they're both fighting for playoff positioning too. But if you can go 2-1, and one, that gets you to 35-37, and 37, and that would mean – Charlotte would need to finish two and one and Washington would need to finish three and oh for them to finish ahead of you. Well, let's look at Charlotte's schedule. It's not easy. They play each they, other. Yes. Right. They've got Washington at the end. They've got the Clippers 
first. They've got the Knicks second. The Knicks still have plenty to play for. So if you're Charlotte, you go versus L.A. at New York and then at Washington, which means you're going to get a loss in there between those two teams, guaranteed. And then you look at Washington's schedule, and they go Atlanta, Cleveland, Charlotte. So they very likely get that Cleveland game. The Charlotte one will be interesting to watch. That Atlanta game is huge. But in the scenario where you can go 2-1, and one, for Washington to pass you, they've got to beat Atlanta, Cleveland, and Charlotte, all three of them. And then Charlotte, um, if they uh, were to lose that Washington game, would have to beat the Clippers and the Knicks, which seems unlikely. All that to say, um, one and two, I think, is a fine result here based on the level of competition. And I think one and two still has a chance to get you in a spot that you like. But if you can go two and one, I think you're going to be in a really, I think you're going to have a really good chance to finish in eighth, just to pay based on those other two schedules. And again, uh, let me quickly go through how the play in tournament is set up. It, seven plays eight, and then in a separate game, nine plays ten. The winner of seven eight is the seven seed, and the loser of nine ten is out. So then you have the winner of that nine ten game going to visit the loser of the 7-8 game for that final play of playing spot in eighth. What it amounts to is this. There is a really big difference between being eighth or ninth. Uh, there's not a huge difference between being ninth or tenth, especially in COVID where home court isn't huge. Um, there's not a huge difference between being seventh or eighth. But there is a huge difference between being eighth or ninth. Because if you're an eighth, you've got two chances to win one game. And as long as you win one of two you are in and you're guaranteed to get one of those two at home. If you are nine or 10, uh, then you need to win both games. You're guaranteed to have one of those on the road. And if you're nine or 10, the best you can do is eighth. Whereas if you're in the seven or eight game and you win that first one, you can get up to seventh. So while I, while I, I think it's important for the Pacers to strive for nine versus 10, for example, the opportunity to get up to eight, I think, is really enticing. It allows you to potentially uh, get as high as seven, and it gives you two cracks at making the playoffs. So there's a really big difference there, um, and, and you're going to have to play well, possibly beat one of Milwaukee or uh, the Lakers to get there. But if you can do that, I think you're going to be in a really good position to finish eighth, which I'll tell you, I've been looking at this playoff probabilities report. Like a week ago, they had that eight seed at something around 6% for the Pacers. And right now that eight seed is at 30.2%. The nine is at 34% and the 10 is at 35%. And they actually project the Pacers finishing um, in ninth, but with all three of those wide open. So still a ton to play for. And this is why, look, I will admit, I didn't love the playing tournament when I first heard about it, but look at all this intrigue that's happening right now that you might not normally have. Granted, you'd have three teams battling for the eighth playoff position, but now you're batting, you're battling for seeding, you're battling for home court advantage. Um, there, it just makes the end of the season for teams in this spot so much more interesting. It makes it more interesting for the NBA. Um, and then, you know, we're going to go into next week with at least one more game to play. And right now we don't know where it is, when it's going to be. Uh, is it home? Is it road? I, I will just tell you, as every day passes, I like this play in tournament more and more. And I think it's going to be really interesting and really exciting once the Pacers get there early next week. The best thing is that so many teams are playing. Now, we are seeing some random samplings of resting, and the ones that aren't are probably the ones that are, as a franchise, thinking more about lottery odds. But there are less of those teams because uh, the tiers have been very interesting. You know, you want to get to six and not be seventh. You want to get to eighth and not be ninth. And if you're 11th, you still have a shot at 10th. So I, I have a hard time finding fault with any of it. The only thing... I could see there being some pushback if the wrong team gets to seventh and at the end of the season they say you have to eliminate the seventh team and let it just be eighth has to win one game, ninth and tenth play each other for the right to play eight. Maybe that's what you would do. But I'm I'm I can't wait to watch these games next week. If you think about it, you know, we're we're always paying attention and watching the NBA when the Pacers are not playing. But maybe not to the extent that it's like you turn it on and you're you're watching every quarter. Maybe you're scanning and checking in a random uh, Suns uh, Nuggets game. And, you know, is it worth staying up for? 
It will be worth staying up for. I will be watching next week. I obviously will be watching and hoping to be uh, uh, working in some capacity, but basically following the Pacers in their playing. But when the Pacers aren't playing, I think this is going to be great for the NBA. In the third week of May on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, the playoffs will be going on in two weeks, but you can dominate the headlines next week. And Everyone will be talking. I don't think that the national TV shows will be spending a lot of time talking about the Pacers. It will be all about the Lakers and the Warriors, especially if they can be seventh and eighth and have to play each other and then have one of those two teams face elimination. Um, I guess you could use the old cliche, that's good for the NBA. Sometimes I get tired of the same teams being talked about all the time. But to your big point, I, I think it's great. It will be frustrating if ever you are seventh or eighth and don't make it in the real playoffs. But maybe that's just additional incentive to to get out of seventh and eighth. And, you know, when was the last time, granted, the Pacers hope they can get in and, and have some success. But when you're seventh or eighth, you don't go into a first round series thinking you've got a great shot of advancing. It's much different if it's the three, six, I think, and four or five, it's anybody's game. But, or anybody's series, seventh or eighth, this gives you something to celebrate and it gives you a moment and it gives your fans something to look forward to. So I, I honestly uh, think the NBA Twitter account, whoever came up with this, um, they could put his picture on it and say promote it, right? I mean, it, <laughs> and it hasn't even happened yet, but it, all that it's done towards this stretch run has made things more interesting. And the other thing that you mentioned um, about not knowing who will play in some of these games there's a little bit of a fine line, I think, in terms of being too rested, where the teams that are in the top six for sure, some of those are still fighting to be, for instance, the Clippers, looking at them right now. I would think they're going to do everything they can to beat the Hornets. They want to stay three. They don't want to go to four or five. Um, but, you know, the Lakers, you don't know where they're going to be. You can't just try to avoid the Lakers. But these teams will be finished playing on Sunday and then at the very earliest play six days later. So do they need two weeks of rest? Now there might be a random game and we don't know what the Sixers will decide to do with Embiid once they clinch that number one seed, but they'll have to play him at least once more. And I would think even looking ahead to this weekend, it'll be interesting to see what Frank Vogel does with the Lakers as they continue to fight for six. You don't want to risk LeBron James, but at the same time, you need to get a game under your belt, don't you? Absolutely. I think so. And and that's another aspect. And I hadn't really thought of it until you started talking there. But another positive of the play in tournament, you would like to think I would say potential positive. We'll see how it plays out here. But you would like to think that teams are not going to want to be resting the whole week leading up to already having a week off. And because of that, you give those top teams a little bit more of a break than they normally would have. So everybody's focusing on the negative of, oh, the Lakers and the Celtics are going to be in the play-in tournament when they normally already be locked into the playoffs. Sure, okay. Uh, but you're giving incentive. You're giving bigger incentive to having a good regular season. And uh, while you know you can make the point that it waters down the regular season because now 10 games, 10 teams get in, okay. But you're also incentivizing. Hey, if you finish in the top six, we're going to give you a little boost here while these other guys are going to be playing. And it's already been a tough season. It's been a condensed year while these other guys are playing. You're going to get to rest. I think that's an important incentive too. I think I said this last week or two weeks ago. Um, in my opinion, if you have finished seventh or eighth, um, you should feel entitled to not a whole lot. I'm not sure the <laughs> seventh best team in the conference should be able to put their foot down and say, we have shown that we have earned this technically. Maybe. Look, I, I get that that team in previous years was locked in, but I'm not sure when you're something like the seventh best team out of 15 teams in the conference that you have earned your right to get mad and say, no, we have shown that we deserve to be in this. And for the Lakers, for the Celtics, who unfortunately Boston's dealing you know, with a, a really tough injury at a, at a tough time, and you never like to see that regardless of team. My whole thought is, look, if, if you can't finish in the top six, in a 15-team conference, and then you can't win if you're the seven, one of two home games. You don't have to win them both. You have to win one time against two teams that had worse records than you, and you're going to be at home. 
And if you can't, A, avoid being in, uh, if you can't get yourself into the top six, and B, you can't win one of two home games against teams that are worse than you, you are not going to find a single tear shed by me. So I think it's a great system. I think it's, it's, it's allowing for intrigue. Your point was good, too. Um, the 6-7 drama all of a sudden matters. That typically didn't matter at all. Typically, once you get uh, past, I would say, really five, um, there's, there's really no interest in the seating. I mean, look, what's the difference in a normal year between being six or seven? You don't even know who the two three is going to be. It's going to be Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Uh, I, I don't know. I think if you ask 10 teams which one you'd rather play, you might get like a 5-5 five, five split amongst those two teams. All of a sudden, six and seven is a really big deal. And you've got Miami and Boston playing each other last night with a whole lot on the line when that game would have been pretty meaningless previously too. Miami goes in, they get a big win. And because of that, Miami's almost assuredly going to avoid the play in tournament. So I like the levels of intrigue that it brings at many different tiers at many different levels. And I'm, I promise you, <laughs> I promise you, I'm going to feel the same way. If next year we're talking about the Pacers who are in a battle for five, six and seven, like some of these teams are, I'm going to feel the same way, even if the Pacers could theoretically um, be disadvantaged by this. I think overall it's a good thing. We'll see if it sees some tweaks, but frankly, I like it how it's set up right now, and I can't think of a way that I would improve it. Let's finish this podcast by looking forward, because I don't know when our next recording will be. It will depend upon the play-in tournament schedule. Perhaps if the Pacers play Wednesday, we will have one that maybe can get out to you early Tuesday to preview the play-in matchup. Um, if they play Tuesday, we'll just have to see. Maybe we do one at the conclusion of what happens Tuesday that's uh, more timely with what happens that night. But let's, we know this. The Pacers are in the play-in tournament. They cannot avoid it, and they cannot be eliminated from it, or they cannot be – their season will not end on Sunday. So how about a pick three? Pick three keys to the Pacers having success in the play-in tournament. This is a little bit difficult. It has to be – a little bit of an overarching answer because we don't know who you're going to play. The key to having success against the Wizards could be different than the key to having success against the Hornets. But I think the where, where this team is right now, it's a lot of it from within. And I guess the first one that I'll say, I'll, I'll make the cop out and say, you've got to get at least one backcourt player back for next week. It, it, yeah. They're just really shorthanded and it's nothing against Cassius Stanley, but you can't go into these high-profile, important matchups with someone who's just played so little. I think that he could be a contributor next week. But Edmonds, one that I'm probably most realistic about being close to 100% next week. He's been in and out of the lineup. Maybe you give him another game how that knee contusion is. I'm still somewhat optimistic about Malcolm Brogdon, but... Here's where I fall on this. If he doesn't play by Saturday's game against the Lakers, and just kind of chalk it up to where I'm not even going to worry about it or think about it, because I, it would be really tough to me. I mean, again, we saw Sabonis come back from, I believe, six games and having a first double. So it's not unheard of this would play his first game in a few weeks and play it in the play-in tournament on Tuesday or Wednesday and be able to succeed. I tend to think I want to see something in a regular season game. He, I want to see him play and then come out of it without hamstring soreness. They're not going to mess with this. Um, but if you get Brogdon back, then I, I really want to see how things could fall into place with, with Brogdon and Lavert and Sabonis and having three, you know, let's call it really good NBA scorers on the court. When you only have two, then you've really got to have as many, you know, supporting pieces to to be successful and you just got you've got to have another backcourt piece the the great toe or the big toe injury to Aaron Holiday we know if it's something close to turf toe what's happened to Miles Turner now it's not the same severity I would not think but I don't know about his availability now for next week so you I just think you have to have at least one of these backcourt players available to give yourself a realistic chance next week so I took the easy one on the pick three to start things off I think so, too. And I think when you look at where the Pacers are going to be, I think key number one, of course, is the injuries. And then key number two, I'm not going to make this my pick because I think it falls just so much within what you were saying. If you don't get anybody back or at least if you don't get 
uh, either of Brogdon or Turner back, your two biggest, um, most significant players that are out right now, then I think the, then I think the other big key has to be that you need to continue to get all-star-like performances from Sabonis and from Levert. I think I think that becomes vital. I think if one or both of those guys falls off a little bit, then I think it's a, a potentially significant problem. And that's just the unfortunate situation you're backed into. It's not really fair to say, hey, we need you on top of your game every single game. But when you don't have Brogdon and you don't have Turner and then you're missing as many other guys as ancillary pieces as you are, you're almost dependent on those guys playing well, but they have played well lately, and uh, we'll see if they can continue to do so. My pick is going to be, it's a little bit um, on what we started this show talking about, but I will pivot a little bit um, to say points in the paint defense. Not necessarily transition defense, but how you protect the paint. And I hope Miles Turner is back, but we have been given, um, at least yet, no indication that his return is around the corner. Now, with that said, I was not guessing by any means that Sabonis was going to play against Oklahoma City, and he did. So we just don't know. Um, But if you don't have him, there's no doubt that you're missing your rim protector. And there's no doubt that transition defense is important. But what I I think you were talking about the connectivity earlier in the show, I think that's vital. And I think you really see um, that manifest itself in your defense in the paint. How many guys are sneaking backdoor? How many times do you get caught out of a rotation where a guy's open underneath the hoop? Those were a lot of the things you were seeing a lot when the Pacers were going through those struggles. And frankly, something you haven't seen a whole lot in the last couple of games. And I'll even extend that when Bradley Beal went out against Washington. I thought the Pacers defense was really, really good. They probably just didn't get, um, you know, a, a bucket or two on the other end that they wanted to get to put the game away. We all know how it ended. No need necessarily to rehash it. Um, but I thought from a defensive perspective, like almost every shot that Washington took in that overtime was really tough. And then save maybe that 12 minute stretch mid first to mid second quarter against Cleveland. Uh, I thought that was the case too against the Cavs. And then in the second half against Philadelphia, like I, I think I can count on one hand, the amount of easy looks that they had in the paint. So uh, it, part of it goes with transition defense, but I think especially when you're in the half court, how are you protecting the paint? A lot of that goes on Sabonis. He's not the rim protector Turner is. So when you don't have that last line of defense like you have for most of the year, and it's been you know really unfortunate that Turner got hurt uh, for many reasons, but unfortunately it looks like if he doesn't come back very soon, he's not going to be qualified for the blocks leaderboard either, which is frustrating. So when you don't have him, I think I think Sabonis' job protecting the rim and how those guys all play around him become even more important, and I think it's going to be vital once the play-in tournament begins. I'll go with rebounding as my other key to next week. It's been a story not just this season. As long as I've had this position, I feel like the Pacers have you know, been average to maybe below average in rebounding. And this season, there have been so many games where you just look at the second-chance points and you say that was the reason – the Pacers lost and then against Philadelphia granted they didn't have Embiid but they put Dwight Howard out there at times and and we know what he can do on the glass just five offensive rebounds for the Sixers was that because Keelan Martin was playing more was that because Gogo Batase was sharing the court with Sabonis in the fourth quarter I don't know the reason but I know the Sixers were well rested I mean they played on Saturday they had something to play for anytime you can lock up that number one seed there is a lot of incentives so for anybody that will poo-poo uh the win against the Sixers because of who the Sixers didn't have the Pacers faced a more difficult situation with injuries and rest and just basically everything and they still got that win but they were able to block out and so it's just one game I'm not willing to say they figured it out on the glass but if they can just at least hold their own and, and make it to where second chance points are not a big time problem or red flag when a game concludes, then that gives them a real chance. Let's say they do play the Wizards, okay? They beat the Wizards in that game that Russell Westbrook got his 180th triple-double. If they just block him out a couple of times in crucial moments, he went in amongst three players and got got the rebound. So I, I almost think that if, if he's on the court, then you have someone, their sole job when a shot goes up is to go find him and put a body on him and make sure he does not get an offensive rebound. And it's so rare to say that that's the goal for uh, defending a guard, but he's such a unique player. So uh, I, I think the rebounding will determine whether this team is playing in the quote-unquote real playoffs or if their season 
comes to an end in the middle of next week. I think so, too. And I think that'll be uh, I hadn't actually realized that offensive rebound stat against Philadelphia. That's phenomenal. And look, so many of these things are are interwoven and intertwined. I mean, uh, the transition defense really doesn't do you a whole lot if they're getting second chance points and a ton of offensive rebounds and putbacks, which was a huge problem for the Pacers. Uh, Granted, they were missing, you know, so many bigs over that course of a few weeks. But, I mean, that that was killing them against even as recently as Sacramento. And you can play the greatest defense in the world. If that shot goes up and you miss it and Dwight Howard goes over somebody and dunks at home, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the ability to be one and done is massive and I think was one of the biggest, if not the biggest keys uh, in that win over Philadelphia. So as of taping this, <laughs> there's a lot up in the air. Um, you know, we could be in a lot of different spots, as you noted, next week when we're taping next week's episode. I hope next week's episode is certainly uh, not the last one. What we also don't know is when those games, as of taping, are going to be Friday, um, or excuse me, Saturday and Sunday. Um, but those will be, regardless of timing, Valley Sports games, JJ, or do we not know that 100% yet? This weekend's games? Yeah. Uh, we assume they are Bally Sports games. I'll be shocked if they are not. I've not seen even a national television schedule, though, in terms of yeah. what whether the games that are um, nationally televised are going to be on ESPN or ABC or TNT. So I suppose there's always a chance, I'm, you know, if they, they play the Lakers on Saturday and that game is by TNT or ABC, I suppose there is a chance that we would lose the ability to broadcast it. I'm not anticipating that, but yeah. um, this is <laughs> this is such a rare season, and even the play-in tournament is something no one has been through or no one uh, knows what to expect. So much like you are waiting to find out what time the game will be, hopefully by the time actually you listen to this podcast, we know, because we were at least told that Wednesday would be the time they would at least announce the times of those games. And there's been some conflicting reporting on to afternoon only, or maybe they could be at night. If the Sunday game is an afternoon, Saturday has to be afternoon. I think the one thing that won't change is if a team plays Saturday and a team plays Sunday, you won't play Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. They'll still give you that um, minimum 22 hours between start times. Um, But other than that, I have no idea. And I think it's part of what is making um, this end of the season also fun is just kind of waiting and seeing what I, what has happened. And I want to, in it, I want to finish with this one thought, maybe question back to you, Pat, because I can't help but think ahead to next season as this season comes to a close. And it is the middle of May. This would normally be playoff time, but I have enjoyed having May basketball and I don't feel like it's out of place in terms of the calendar. Now, Playoff games in late August and during the start of the NFL season, I think everyone would agree that that just that's not ideal. You never want to do that again. But I will be interested to see when they decide to start the next season. For sure, will it be 82 games? And, you know, you would think it would be. But when do they start and then when do they decide to finish? And my only thought, and this is just two sideline guys talking here, is that as much as you know, being done the middle of April and, and having that playoff series start in late April, I think you could push it back or extend it a couple of weeks. And, and maybe you start around October or the first week of November, and then you stagger it to where you go till the first week of May. Because I do think that you get more people paying attention to the NBA once March Madness comes to a close. And so instead of just paying attention to the final week of the regular season, maybe you watch a little more of the regular season and maybe people are more into these play in tournament scenarios and you have the whole month of April to really get excited about the playoffs. That's just my thought that um, I wouldn't mind staggering just a little bit starting the season, maybe two to three weeks later. And they might need to do that next year anyways, just to give people especially the teams that play in the finals a little bit more time off. And then you have the whole Olympic dynamic, which is another um, another wrinkle. And I know you've got fever schedule to, to worry about and to think about. And so there are some dynamics there with not wanting those seasons to overlap as much. But I could see maybe a November to early May end of regular season. And maybe you start the playoffs in the middle of May moving forward. What do you think? I have also enjoyed this uh, playing, you know, this late into um, this calendar year before we hit the playoffs. I think there could be something to it. I think it'll ultimately be a good test to see 
not only how the playoff games are doing in May. I think we know those are going to do good because playoff games in May have always done well. But uh, my guess is it ultimately ends up being how the finals are rated, maybe based on expectations. A lot of that ends up being, you know, who is actually in the finals. But once you're uh, a little bit later into the calendar year than you typically are, uh, you know, do you have a do you have a, a ratings dip? Do you have a ratings increase? Are they the same? And I think I would guess that if they are the same, I think it would be something they would consider. And who knows? Um, you know, they're always looking for ways to combat uh, teams resting guys, and they're always trying to help teams have more off days. I mean, you could theoretically even still start the season in mid-late October and just end it a week or two later and have more off days during the year to try to avoid guys resting. So I think that's a possibility as well. I do enjoy uh, playing regular season basketball into May. And if that ends up being the scenario that we're doing next year, I definitely um, won't look at it and be disappointed. That's for sure. And it gives you the opportunity too, of course, to have, you know, the race and the Pacers playoffs lining up, which Hopefully that'll be the case. If Indiana can get into a first round playoff series, um, it would uh, be, you know, potentially pretty likely that those two things could be happening around the same time, which I always think is probably like the pinnacle of Indianapolis sports. When those two things are happening at the same time, the excitement the 500 brings. Typically, if the Pacers are playing in a normal year into late May, it means they're having a great season, which has excitement, too. And uh, I think of my fondest memories of when I've been the most excited as a sports fan here. And so often it's in late May with both of those teams playing. So, no, I, I won't uh, shed a tear at all if that happens. The fever season, uh, thank you for allowing me to transition into that, is actually tipping off on Friday. So this week, uh, this weekend is going to be wild. In fact, I hope the next few weeks are going to be wild. I hope. There are a lot more, uh, you know, dates added onto the schedule with the Pacers. But the Fever tip off their season Friday um, in New York at 7 o'clock. I believe we are going to have an announcement coming up very soon. Um, but I will just say I don't totally know exactly what I can and can't, but expect to be able to watch a majority of these games free of charge um, from our, our broadcast group. Um, we expect to have Tully and Bria Goss back, former uh, Miss Indiana Basketball uh, along with us on the coverage and the fever are going to go Friday at seven. And then they're going to go Sunday at two uh, feverbasketball.com for more information. Would love to have you in the building. This is a great time to support uh, the WNBA, the fever as well. They're a young and upcoming team. So I know uh, when a lot of people are trying to pick perhaps a new team and a new sport, they don't want to necessarily pick the Yankees. If you will, this is a good time. I think to get on board uh, with the fever and support the WNBA. And it really means you get basketball, uh, in Indianapolis for like 11 months out of the year, uh, which is great. So we will go Fever on Friday, Pacers on Saturday, and then we'll do the uh, the double on Sunday. I do have my fingers crossed that we're going to get a later game on Sunday because that would mean I would have uh, the best ability to work both of those. But uh, the, the, the one nice thing about this setup is on Sunday, we'll have the Fever game at 2, and then I can hopefully just walk – oh, I don't know, 300 feet to the studios and do the Pacers game. So uh, very convenient from that aspect, uh, but would love to have you along the ride for Fever as well. And then uh, also I'm going to get this podcast up here in about an hour from taping. So it's possible that um, you are listening to this before this event happens. But if you are listening to this on Wednesday and you have interest in attending the Slick Leonard uh, Celebration of Life Memorial it is on Wednesday night, pacers.com slash slick. The tickets, um, have to, we have to have tickets because of COVID protocol, um, but they're $5.29, and every cent of that goes uh, to charity and helping uh, the ABA, the old ABA basketball players who are uh, facing some difficult challenges. So if you are listening to this during the day, please come downtown with us. We'd love to see you um, for this celebration of life, which is so important, pacers.com slash slick tickets are available it all goes to a good cause um, you only get one chance uh, at something like this and i think it would be a great opportunity uh, if you are listening to this in time to be there and then if not just know hopefully we will have your coverage i, I will be able to tell you that on radio for pacers it'll be as normal pre-game show 30 minutes before post-game show with eddie white after the game coverage doesn't really change on radio uh valley sports hopefully very hopeful for Saturday and Sunday, and then we'll have uh, updates for you, hopefully, as the Pacers have more games uh, beyond just the play-in tournament. Any final thoughts for you? I, I don't want to hang up on you uh, without at least giving you the chance to have the microphone one more time. 
No, um, just uh, enjoy this time of the year. I think we always say it when the playoffs get ready to start, and, and we know that it. I don't think I will call it the playoffs next week until the Pacers can be seventh or eighth and be in one of those series, and that's obviously what we were hoping for because that is truly the best you know time of the year and the best part of the job is to, to work playoff games. But um, enjoy it. I You know, what happens in the offseason and, and then even the, the draft prospects – uh, enjoy this team and support these players. These Many of these guys, this is not their first year here. I know it's a new staff, but these are a lot of players you've been watching for a long time. And think back to the pandemic days when we were just dying to see basketball or just hoping <laughs> to, to get an opportunity to watch again. And so enjoy these next few games and enjoy the effort. And I did, you know, feel like uh, people react last night that was fun enjoyed watching that and that's that's why you're a fan right i mean you want to see your team win championships but there are 30 teams and only one does win the championship so enjoy this weekend uh should be some fun games get out to the field house if you can come tonight on wednesday to the celebration of life please do so and if you have an opportunity to get to the bucks game or the lakers game um i think those are the atmosphere is getting better home court advantage is becoming a little bit more of an advantage and i do think I'll take back what I said maybe a week or two ago about not caring if the Pacers were ninth or 10th because I didn't think it mattered. <laughs> I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to say I would rather be ninth than 10th. I would rather have at least one of those games at home and definitely would rather have be eighth than ninth. So that's, I, uh, that's my final thoughts. I completely agree. I think you're starting to see home court advantage play a bigger role. And you can be there and you can help make that home court advantage uh, as significant as possible. Pacers.com slash tickets. That'll wrap it up for this week. Thanks to JJ. I'm Pat. We'll talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast.